Our scripture reading today comes from Revelations 1, 1 through 3, and 9 through 11. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testified to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, take a, take a scroll what you see, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergama, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, Cynthia. A year and a half ago, um, I led a Bible study on the book of Revelation. It uh, started in the fall, I think, like in September, and it went all the way to May of last year, 2015. And it was 24 weeks long. And it covered the entire book of Revelation. And what I'm going to do is we're having a sermon series. This is the first of four Sundays where we are going to be talking, discussing the book of Revelation from beginning to end. And I have split this book into four sections. Today we're going to be talking about the churches, verses, uh, chapters 1 through 3. And then we'll get on to um, exploring the, uh, the end times that covers chapters 4 through 13. And then on the 12th of February, we're going to be talking about the second coming of Jesus and the millennium, that, uh, the, the thousand-year reign of Christ. And then on the last Sunday of February, we will talk about the New Jerusalem, the end of times, what life will be like in this new city, this new Jerusalem for all the believers. But today we begin in the first the first segment, the first three chapters. But before we begin, let's go to God in prayer. Most gracious and glorious God, we thank, pray, thank you and we praise you. And we praise your holy name. Slow us down today. Slow us down right now because we get so busy in our lives that we get wrapped up and we blank out the most important things. And the most important one of those is you, Lord. Like the church in Ephesus we forget sometimes. So oftentimes we miss out on much when we do that. We miss your gentle hand on our lives. We miss your guiding touch and your providential light. Slow us down today. Bless this message to our hearts and our minds and help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to make it applicable to our lives today. And it is through Jesus Christ our Lord that we do this. Amen. Okay, the year is 95 A.D. 
the author of the Revelation, the book of Revelation, is John, the apostle, who is now in his 80s. And he has lived in Ephesus through all those years. But today, this, this book comes out, uh, he is exiled in, uh, to the island of Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea. I have a map. I want to, can we just put this map up and just leave it up for a while? Because I'm going to be talking about all these cities. Um, but um, John had a deep devotion to Jesus during his three-year ministry, right from the beginning. And it was John that witnessed a lot of those miracles, if you remember. And John was in part of that inner circle with Christ. When they had uh, the transfiguration, when Jesus went up into the mountain, he took John with him with two other disciples, and that's where he was transfigured. He was there at the Last Supper right next to Jesus. He was there for the arrest in Garden of Gethsemane. He was there at the trial. He was the only disciple there that was at the crucifixion. And he was the one that Jesus told to watch over his mother, Mary. Jesus thought a lot of John. And it's no wonder why John was then selected by Jesus to be the witness and the author of the final book of the Bible. Now, the word apocalypse, you've heard that many, many times. Usually, it's in Hollywood, and they have a movie. It's a disaster movie, or there's zombies, or something of that effect, and it's always the apocalypse, apocalypse, apocalypse. But the true meaning of apocalypse sometimes gets distorted. The Greek word for revelation is apocalypse. In fact, the Greek word is apocalypsis which means unveiling or revelation. It has nothing to do with doom and gloom. It has nothing to do with that. But it is revelation. So what is revealed in this book of Revelation? John tells us right away in the first verse, it is a revelation of what must take place. What must take place. So Patmos, John is exiled to the island of Patmos. The island today is a resort community. You guys probably, some of the elderly in our church probably are snowbirds, and they relate to this, but Patmos is a place where European snowbirds go to escape the harsh winters of Europe. I didn't know if you knew that or not, but uh, they all go, a lot of them go to Patmos. But back then... It was a harsh place. It was a rough place. It was a, a penal colony was established there. And they, all that was there was mining. It was a real mountainous area, small mountainous area. And they did a lot of mining there. And uh, as uh, payment for whatever crime they committed, they were sentenced to mine that island. Paul was sent there, not to mine it, but he was sent there because he was preaching the word of Jesus Christ. He was preaching the gospel. And they told him, the Romans told him, stop doing that. We're going we're gonna to send you over to Patmos. Well, he didn't stop. He refused speaking the good news of Jesus Christ, his truth and his light and his way. 
So John was sentenced to Patmos for one and a half years. One and a half years, it seems like a short time. And it was in that time that he was there that he had this dream that Jesus Christ spoke to him. And that is where he wrote the book of Revelations. And he wrote this letter to the seven churches. He calls them in chapter 1, he calls them the lampstands. They're each lampstands. And there's seven stars in these lampstands. Those, those seven stars are for the seven angels of each church. One, one angel in each church. And that's who he wrote this to. And I think it's appropriate for you to know this, but what um, Cynthia read today, John proclaims in the third verse of the first chapter, those who hear these words, who read them aloud or hear these words, and they take them to heart and apply them to their lives, will be blessed. So you need to pay attention because you will be blessed for this. And then John greets the readers the words of grace and peace. But the Greek word for grace and peace is shalom. Now we use shalom all the time in our bulletin. When you leave here, when you depart, it's the last thing on our bulletin, shalom. We're greeting, we're we're saying goodbye, greeting you with peace and grace at the end of our worship. But I got to tell you something that might be confusing to you. John is the one that's writing this letter, but he is relaying Jesus' words to him. So if you have a red-letter Bible, some of you have a red-letter Bible. Red letters signify that's Jesus speaking. In, verse, in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, it's all red letters. That is all Jesus' words. John is writing it, but it's through Jesus that he's writing it. So those are Jesus, it signifies that Christ is speaking to us, to those churches. So we'll start out with the first church, Ephesus, which is number one right there. It's a coastal city. Today it's six miles inland because of the silt and everything, but at the time it was a coastal city. And, um, and it was, uh, there was a quarter million people that lived there in Ephesus. It was the largest and most important city in Asia Minor. Today we call it Turkey. It was wealthy and prosperous city because it was a, a port town, a coastal city. Um, but, uh, and the, the, the church endured a lot of hardships there. Now, if you recall from Paul's letters to the, the epistles, you will know that Aquila and Priscilla lived there. And they were big supporters of the church. They had a lot of money, and they really supported the church in Ephesus. You'll also remember that maybe that Timothy, Paul's mentee, he actually led the church in Ephesus. So it was a very, very powerful church and had a lot going for it. But as Marcy pointed out in the children's sermon, there came a time when they forgot about Christ, they fell away from Christ. And they forgot they loved Christ. And there were consequences for that. Marcy also talked about, you know, Marcy did a really good job of the sermon. I, I, we don't even need to do this sermon. I, she did a really good job, and I really uh, thank her for that. Uh, but, but Christ still loved them. 
And Christ wanted them to come back to him. And then the second city is another coastal city. It's Smyrna. It shows there. It's on land. But it's actually, it's not. It's, it's the other church that's on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Um, today, it's, it's still going today. It's, a, it's known today as Izmir. That's the name of the city today. And it was a cultural center, center of um, the of uh, of Asia, and it was a, another it was another wealthy city. But due to the economic sanctions that were placed on Christians, they didn't get to enjoy that wealth. Businesses that were Christians were excluded from business dealings. If you were a Christian in that town. You were excluded from any of the deals that were going on, any construction projects or anything else that was going on. People looked down on the Christians. So they failed uh, to receive some of the blessings that that city had as far as the wealth goes. Um, And another thing about Smyrna, and Christ talks about this. He says that, be faithful even to the point of death. I will give you your life as your victor's crown, which meant kind of like with the um, Greek philosophy about victors and and racing and running races and everything, they would receive a crown. But so that thing about even to death, there was a lot of martyrs in Smyrna, and one of them was Polycarp. Does anybody know about Polycarp? Polycarp, um, this is from my Christian history class, he was a martyr in 155 A.D. He was 86 years old at the time. He's one year younger than Ray Brown is right now. Ray's sitting out there. Actually, Ray, you turned in February 2nd, you turned 87. You're 86 now, aren't you? I think you are. Well, anyway, so this guy was your age, Ray. Polycarp. And he refused to sacrifice to Caesar. And they wanted, to, they wanted to spare him. And they said, just denounce your king, and you, you, we'll let you go. And he, would do, he refused to do it. 86 years old. He said, here's his quote from him. This is, uh, has lasted throughout the ages. For 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no evil. How could I curse my king? Well, they ended up putting him to death but he remained steadfast. And many more like Polycarp met with a similar fate. Now the next city is the first one that's inland, number three. That says Pergamos. Uh, We call it Pergamum. In the Bible it says Pergamum. That was the Greek word for it. Pergamum was a city uh, that was known for its medical knowledge. It had a lot of medical knowledge, and it had the second largest library in the known world. At that time, the church, the church though had its challenges. They dealt with the false teaching. There was a lot of teachers in there, the leaders that were giving them bad information on Jesus Christ. But there were also some positive traits, and the people there were to remain steadfast despite those false teachers. And those false teachers were called to repent. The next. Uh, City is number four, Thyatira. The church at Thyatira under, suffered under false teaching as well. 
But it got even worse than that. They had a, a false prophet that was leading their people astray. God's standards for sexual immorality differed greatly from the standards of this culture in Thyatira. He asked the people, this is Jesus, he asked the people who have not succumbed to the false teaching to remain steadfast, to hold on, while these false teachers will pay according to their deeds. Like the church in Thyatira, we too are called to holiness. We are too are to not succumb to the false teaching of the standards of our culture. We're called to freedom, sisters and brothers. We're called to freedom, and it's not freedom to sin, but it's freedom to avoid sin, to walk the straight and narrow. Now the next town is Sardis. Number five, Sardis, right in the middle of the uh, Turkey, what we know as Turkey. Now in each of these churches that we've talked so far about, they might remind you of a church maybe you attended or you know about. Um, maybe it's someone that you've experienced. Sardis, for me, is one of them. Sardis was in the region known for its gold. Very wealthy, very wealthy area, very wealthy church. It boasted also of lucrative wool industry. It had a great wool industry. And the people there were tremendously wealthy. But their wealth and their luxury led to decadence. The church in Sardis claimed to be a model church. But that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case. They needed to wake up. Like the church in Ephesus, Marcy was talking about, they're called to remember, to obey, and to repent. Now, Philadelphia is the next one, number six. They had a poor Eagles team. They never won in a Super Bowl. It was, no. No. <laughs> I just had to throw that in. They haven't won a Super Bowl. Philadelphia was in the area known for violent earthquakes. The church received only praise without any criticism from Jesus. That's because the church in Philadelphia was devoted passionately to, to Jesus. And Jesus just called them to hold, out, hold on to what you have that he was coming soon. And then the last of the seven, Laodicea. It was a city in a fertile valley near like two or three miles from another town that you probably, is more famous to you. And that is Colossae. Colossae, remember the letter Paul wrote to the Colossians? That was Colossae. He wrote this letter to the Colossians, and I think it was in the fourth chapter, verse 6, where he says, make sure you share this letter with Laodicea, because they were so close, the two churches, within three miles of each other. It would be like Asbury and us today. So, Laodicea was famous for many, many things. They had a lot of banking assets. They were very rich, like um, 
one of the other uh, cities we were talking about. They were famous for their school of medicine. They were famous for this black wool that only was in that region. People came and wanted that black wool that they had there. But here's one thing that was kind of a stickler. They had poor drinking water. Their water, because there was a lot of volcanic activity there, they had a lot of, their water was acidic. And they, it was hard to drink. And um, so that was kind of a, a knock on them. Everybody knew that Laodicea had this poor drinking water. And Jesus didn't let it go without talking about it. And I'll get to that in a second. But the wealth of the inhabitants of this city promoted a, self, a sense of self-sufficiency. They were independent. They didn't need Jesus. They didn't need the church because they had everything they needed right there, except drinking water, which led to Jesus describing their faith as lukewarm. And what does Jesus do with people that are not hot or not cold? He spits them out. But in this case, the Greek words, you know, the Bible, I love the Bible and everything, but they sometimes they don't have the right words, Greek words. The Greek word used in this is not spit, it's vomit. That Jesus will vomit them out. That's a little harsh, isn't it? But that was because of their apathy. They needed to wake up too. These harsh words, but there was also promise for their church as well. Now, this ends this part of the letter. The first part. In each church, Jesus warned the people of their sin, but only condemned those that were the false teachers and the false prophets. Everyone else, they just warned them that they needed to turn around and wake up. They didn't condemn them. The people in those seven churches were to take what he said to heart, to turn around, repent, Make changes in their church. Turn away from their wrongdoing and get back to God. Jesus also encouraged those that were fighting the good fight to keep on fighting. Encourage them. Despite the Roman opposition, the the persecution that they were dealing with. So, the $6 million question, sisters and brothers... To end today, I want to leave you with this. What would Jesus say about our church if he was to send us a letter? Where do we fall in? Would we be a church like Philadelphia where there wasn't any commendation? Or would it be more like one of the churches like Ephesus or Sardis where we need to preserve our faith and our love for him? Get back to that. Or would it be one of the wealthy churches who have neglected Christ altogether to the point of apathy, spiritual apathy, and that he might vomit us in disgust? Think about that. Take that home with you. I would love to hear what you think. If you want to share that with me, I would love to hear it. But in the end, we need to know this. In all the churches... All the churches, all seven of them, Christ never gave up on them. And he doesn't give up on us 
or you at all. He gives us encouragement. He gives us grace. He gives us understanding. It goes for our church. He loves us despite our missteps, despite our, our hopelessness sometimes. And as I said before, he is rooting, us, rooting for us from the sidelines. And he's there every step of the way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the